On February 6th, over 2,000 people flocked to the Tet in Boston, 2022, the annual Vietnamese Lunar New Year's Festival held at the Flynn Cruise Port Terminal in South Boston. The event celebrates the culture and tradition of Vietnam and preserves and promotes the Vietnamese and Vietnamese American heritage. There were also over 100 vendors showing their wares and networking with the attendees of the festival. The day was organized by the Vietnamese American Community of Massachusetts and the New England Intercollegiate Vietnamese Student Association. The Fields Corner section of Boston has the highest population density of Vietnamese people in the United States. With the 50,000 Vietnamese Americans living in Massachusetts, their organization said that it is important for them to keep and show pride in their culture and heritage for generations to come and to keep the youth involved in the process. That, which is translated into our Vietnamese Lunar New Year, is the biggest festival and celebration in Vietnam. So in Vietnam, it's like their Christmas. And for us, having an older generation that are majority Vietnamese refugees, they come here to liven that up and to bring that culture so that the younger generation can kind of coalesce together to understand the importance of community and culture. Having an event like this brings people together, it brings the community together to celebrate not only just the Lunar New Year, but to also be proud of being Vietnamese and celebrating culture and heritage. Once a year, you celebrate Christmas or you know New Year, we celebrate Lunar New Year. This year, you know, in Vietnamese they have not a lot holiday like in the United States. So this, this one, just like Thanksgiving, people come in, celebrate the culture. We working hard for one long year. Now we want to celebrate. Put back whatever you had in the last year, suffering everything, let's move back to the new future the next year. So it's very important we bring the family together, everything joy and happiness together within the incoming year. So the state of Boston is a chance for family to come together and celebrate the new year uh, together, have bonding experience. Uh, some of the people haven't seen each other in a long, long time because of COVID. So now they come together and chance and see other fellow Vietnamese and have a chance to speak Vietnamese, see other um, vendors and local businesses and support them and know more about what is going on in the community and also have a chance to participate in the community event as well. This is one of the biggest events for Vietnamese um, community in Boston. It's important, uh, very important that we in the city of Boston acknowledge and celebrate with our very rich and thriving uh, immigrant communities such as our Vietnamese community. We have so much to celebrate here and when we know each other and when we're able to celebrate each other's um, cultures, we are also able to show up for each other um, and realize that our struggles are interconnected and to show up as allies. Um, so it's important that we uh, get immersed in each other's culture to know, know that there's so many similarities and there's so many friendships that we can build when we are uh, celebrating together and when we're working together. On February 8th, Mayor Michelle Wu, School Committee Chair Jerry Robinson, and BPS Superintendent Brenda Casilius held a press conference a day after the superintendent announced she will be resigning from her position at the end of the school year. Caselius had been in office for a little under a year when the COVID-19 pandemic took hold, and after three years on the job in a mutual decision, she will be giving up her post. The mayor thanked her for her leadership in navigating the pandemic and in addressing the needed structural changes in the BPS during her tenure. 
The superintendent said she loved Boston and her job and will forever be a champion and supporter of the Boston Public Schools. She offered no reason for her decision to resign her position as head of BPS. I'm just as committed to this district and city as I have been since the day I walked through it. Nobody could have anticipated a pandemic and three mayoral changes and just uh, an incredible amount of headwind. Um, it has been an incredible uh, opportunity to lay a strong foundation and to work with Mayor Wu now as she transitions her new leadership team. And I can't be more excited to be able to support her and to continue on the really exciting foundation that we've laid. Nothing's pushing me out the door. I'm still here for five months, rolling up my sleeves, getting this work done each and every day, and just uh, excited about the work that we've been able to accomplish. Brighton is a great example of the high school work with the passage of the Mass Corps and the wonderful work that we've been able to do uh, instituting social workers and family liaisons and counselors and psychologists in our, our schools. We've really set up a strong foundation for the next superintendent to come in and uh, take the mantle and carry it forward. I am so grateful to Superintendent Caselius for her steadfast leadership, her grace, her courage, her unwavering commitment to equity for our young people. She has truly led this district through what I believe are the three most challenging school years that we have ever seen in Boston. And we are all stronger and better off for her leadership. And I'm so excited for the work that we will continue to do together through the end of this school year and to continue to benefit from her guidance and wisdom as we uh, manage this transition process over the next couple months. The Boston Public Schools is not a silo. The opportunities that our young people should be surrounded with really demand a full partnership with every single cabinet within city government as well as every single sector across the city. And so this is not about um, creating the expectation that any amazing individual is going to be able to step in and, and save the world. We all have to make changes together. That's the ethos that Superintendent Caselius has really created. I believe that is a huge part of her legacy, is truly opening up community engagement and bringing in our families to be firmly part of decision-making processes, and that's what we'll continue to do. On February 9th, Mayor Michelle Wu visited the small shops along Blue Hill Avenue, letting the merchants and their customers know that starting next month, the MBTA bus routes 23, 28, and 29 will be fare-free. Wu announced the two-year pilot program, calling it groundbreaking and something the community has been hoping for for a long time. Since the 28 bus became free in August of last year, ridership has increased to over 90% of pre-pandemic levels which makes it the most popular bus on the entire MBTA system. She said that transportation is linked to equity and economic mobility, as well as climate justice and reducing exposure to pollution. One of Wu's stated goals is to make these three bus lines free to the public, and starting on March 1st, this will become a reality. And this bus route being free gives me the opportunity to do my grocery shopping, my laundry, uh, my gym activity, which is my therapy for my disabilities, it is so important. It's just a gift that keeps giving. When I get on the bus, nowadays with free bus, everybody gets on, they're calm, there's no hassle, there's no aggravation about having to stand in line, wait for somebody with money to come on or a bus. Just little teeny things that can turn a person's day a little sour, you know, and they end up giving it back to you. But 
This is one of the best things that has happened in the city. What it certainly does is decreases the dwell time of the bus, right? You don't have uh, folks interacting with the fare box. Uh, you can also uh, you can also have people board at all doors. So it does make uh, it makes the bus system faster and more efficient. And that is one of the things that we'll be looking at as we analyze the results of this pilot. Public transit is a public good. And just like all of the other public goods that bring so much to our lives, our parks, our libraries, our schools, we believe that the bus will deliver the most to the most people when it is freely available to all. Free buses provide benefits, as we've heard, to the people who ride them, but they also send a message. It sends the message that this bus is for you, it's for me, it's for anyone who wants to get where they're trying to go. Free fares put money back into people's pockets and time back into their day. They simplify the experience of riding the bus and they make it more convenient for the kinds of quick trips that people sometimes want to take. Free fares bring benefits to the operation of the bus as well. During the six months where we've operated a, a free fare pilot on the Route 28 bus, we've seen a 20% reduction in boarding times for people getting on the bus. Um, they can use all the doors, there's no time spent making fare payment. When you add up that 20%, stop after stop, it improves the rider experience, but it also can help the bus stay on schedule and potentially can improve the overall reliability of the service and the system. Transportation is about connectedness at the end of the day, connecting us to healthcare, to education, to jobs, and to each other. It is the single fastest way that we can achieve our goals when it comes to all of what we're talking about in the city of Boston, from equity and economic mobility, to our climate justice goals, to our public health goals of reducing asthma and reducing exposure to pollution in our neighborhoods, easing traffic and congestion. We know that bus service is the best place to start because it is speeding up our buses every time we make it so that people don't have to wait in line, uncrinkle those dollar bills, or go through, rummage through bags to get out that pass to pay. We have seen it work during the pandemic, and we've seen it work on the 28 bus. On February 10th, Mayor Michelle Wu and the Office of Budget Management announced a series of community listening sessions to educate and solicit public input on the upcoming 2023 City of Boston budget. The mayor said the annual budget is the most direct way the city government invests in its residents' quality of life. Community engagement in this process ensures that the city is spending its resources equitably and that the residents are getting to play a role in making these decisions about the budget that will have an impact on their lives. Each of the four listening sessions will focus on collecting the public's input on a multitude of budget items. At the same time, it will be educating residents as to what goes into putting a city's annual budget together and fostering community engagement. Today, we are announcing a series of community listening sessions that will be get run in the period between February 15th and February 25th that really represent an opening up of the process for, to, to residents from the very beginning. These listening sessions will be grouped by City Council District, and so I think you'll hear more from our colleagues. They will be uh, Tuesday the 15th, Saturday the 19th, Wednesday the 23rd, and Friday the 25th. All of the details can be found at boston.gov budget. At each session, we will share information on the budgeting process to make sure it is accessible even as a, a 
an entry point for anyone, no matter your level of familiarity with city government or with the budget, and then solicit feedback from residents directly. We invite community members to inform decisions on our annual budget, federal recovery funds, as well as our new participatory budgeting model. As we strive to build a city that's more responsive to the needs of all of our communities, we will continue to look to our residents as leaders and critical partners in achieving those goals. Traditionally, we've always had the city council get the budget, then we have one hearing where everyone comes in for hours on end and talks about what they do and don't like about the budget. And yes, it ends up being constrained, it ends up being predominantly in English, and it's to the exclusion of a lot of people. So this is an exciting new shift in culture for how we talk about money in the city of Boston, our money in the city of Boston particularly. And I want to again congratulate uh, Mayor Wu and thank her for hearing what the people of Boston said through passing Yes on One. They said they want in. We want to seat at the table. We want to see how the money is moved around. And we want to have a voice through our city council to make sure that the money is moved around in a way that reflects today's needs, wants, and desires. It's really a question of helping people know and feel that this money is ours collectively and that what we're doing with it together is not some separate agent government, it's no, it's us together. And I think that we've really seen that sense of ownership from the people of Boston around the Community Preservation Act and these funds that were specifically voted for um, being used on crucial projects, but really that's how we want people to understand the whole city budget. Residents and community organizations across our city are ready to, to participate with government. They're ready to deeply engage with government. And that's what they said this past November, that's what they're ready to do now. And it's really exciting to see government saying, welcome in, saying to our residents across the city that they also want them there in that process. We deeply believe in the power of co-governance and participatory democracy. And last year, we helped to lead the effort to address these needs and change the city's charters so that residents could have a seat at this table. We deserve a seat that allows families and neighbors to discuss the vision of their communities and what resources we need in our neighborhoods to help create a stronger, resilient, and more sustainable efforts that uplift, that uplift the needs of our communities and residents across the city. On February 12th, residents of the Oak Square neighborhood in Brighton came out in large numbers to protest against a developer who cut down a 200-year-old giant beech tree that they said was an integral part of their neighborhood. Forty more trees were cut down on the property on which Davos Construction will be developing housing. The protest sought to prevent the builder from cutting down additional older trees on the former Presentation Church and Rectory, a site which they now own and also plan on developing. The residents contended that they received no notice from the Davos construction regarding the taking down of these trees and feel that developers should not be allowed to come into a community and build new housing developments without first listening to and respecting the concerns of the people living in those communities. The protesting residents said that once a tree is cut down, it is gone forever and will never again be there to provide a summer shade, help with climate control, or bring us closer to nature. They weren't informed that this was going to happen. So on Monday morning at 7 o'clock, the cutters came in and they, they attacked the most magnificent, significant tree on this whole site. The first tree they went for was this 200-year-old tree. Many of you lived, many of you went to school in the building next door, Our Lady of Presentation High School, formerly. Many of you 
lived and walked around this neighborhood for generations. People have been walking around and, and, and loving this tree for generations. So this is a huge loss for our neighborhood. But I think it's a call to action that in this moment, when our urban tree canopy is one of the many, one of the few things we have to help us mitigate the impacts of climate change and heat waves, we should be protecting our trees and not cutting them down. That's right. Yeah. Obviously, this is an outrageous act on our neighborhood. Uh, we all either walk by here or drive by here, and we will truly miss the beauty of the tree that was chopped down. Uh, a senseless act. Our uh, neighborhood is experiencing a lot of development, and in the midst of that development, we need to protect beautiful trees like the one we've lost. So as Liz said, this is a call to action. Yes, so, yes, uh, yes. So we will come together to protect the other trees in this neighborhood that provide so much beauty and shade and are representative of our community. This neighborhood is Oak Square, named after the great oak tree down there that was in Oak Square. So it's incumbent upon us all to continue to come together as a neighborhood to protect these beautiful trees that we have. The developer uh, didn't make any effort to reach out to the community about her his plans in terms of taking down the trees. It's an indication that developers don't work with communities cooperatively, and this community is going to fight back against that uh, act of arrogance and prevent the loss of further trees on this property. This is critical in an era of climate change. We're seeing hotter summers, we're seeing wetter springs, we're seeing more polluted air with development. So trees are our allies. They're our brothers and sisters. They're protecting us, and we must, we must protect them.